0: Hello, my friends. Today we have part one of two of Joel's conversation with David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast and vice president of innovation at QTS data centers. And they discuss what it means to have a free and open internet and how we can think about censorship, guardrails, and risk online. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO podcast. Is the modern CTO podcast.
1: Joel Beasley, welcome back uh, to the QTS experience. I'm really stoked about this conversation. How are you?
0: Dude, I am fantastic. Life is good. And uh, when I got to hear that I was talking with you again, I was just super pumped up. What I love about our conversations, we've had one or two off
1: camera and one on camera, is um, I feel energized. And it's gonna sound weird, but let me just, by way of start, and then our producers will probably edit all this out and save us the embarrassment. But when I came home from our last conversation, my wife generally asked me, how'd the podcast go? Or what conversations were you having today? And I came home so I'm geeked up from our conversation, partly about the guests and the things that you do on the show. I love it. I think it's really cool. And hopefully, you'll uh, share some of how that's evolved over the last year. I would like to compare notes. But the other was just your personal story. And I love it when I see human beings really endeavoring to help themselves, their family, and their communities flourish. I mean, I just, I just think that's really cool. And sometimes that's, you know— I get a little Pollyanna or naive, but I, I just see, like to see the practical ways that that plays out. People do that, whether it's warning each other or helping each other or whatever. And so um, today I said, oh, I checked my schedule. Oh, I get to speak to Joel Beasley. And she um, she remembered, I mean, this is as close as she can remember. She said, oh, yeah, the young man in Florida. That's how we are in our mid you know middle age where I'm about 20 years older than you. So everybody's the young man or young woman from somewhere nowadays. But... Yeah, the young man from Florida. That's right. Am I not a young man? Anyway, but anyway, so she—I thought that was really cool. That I was so enthusiastic from our last conversation that she remembered your name, oh, nice. and that I was really jazzed about that. So, uh, welcome,
0: dude. I'm I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I, uh, my wife knows you too. Oh boy, she knows you as the the one CTO who has had a fifth wheel. <laughs> so, um, I I told her about all of that and you know, we did a big circle around the United States, um, over the course of like the summer. Mm. And, uh, every time we were stopping at a new spot, I was like, are we going to pass Dave on the way back? And we didn't, but, um, I was really hoping we would, cause I wanted to stop by and, uh, see your church. Cause I'd watched it live stream a yeah. couple times and we had gotten to talk, but, um, Life happens with those two little kids, man.
1: They do, and probably more even more interesting. The church, although I love it, we got cool stuff going on. Is we've got four wheelers, two wheelers. We've got a big giant backyard that's been overrun seven thousand times. So we don't care what gets hit and what happens. And we just, you know, we got the Mulky set. Which if you've never played Mulky, it's an amazing yard game. I'll explain what that is offline. The Finns invented it, so you know it's going to be a blast. Simple, easy. You can do it one handed. Um, I'm not saying I do it in an ultra state of mind off of a good stout, but you can do it in a number of ways, a lot of fun, all, all that other stuff. But here's what I'm really interested to get started in. When we talked, you had, you're the host of the Modern CTO, an outstanding, uh, one of the leading technology podcasts out there. And I had been referred to you by a number of people in my industry, the data center industry, and then some other folks that I knew who aren't in telecom or data center, but they knew your podcast. They really enjoyed the kind of people that you got on there and the conversations. And you were, I don't remember if you were a year in, but certainly it was a lumpy year with the pandemic and you guys were working through that from then till now. I don't want to miss the opportunity to hear how the shows evolved and um, w- whether it's the technical components of it or the guests that you're getting on or the things that you're talking about. Can you help catch us up?
0: Yeah. I'm um, Rocky. Uh, I want to make sure I like pinpoint the right time. So like right when the pandemic happened, I think that was like March when things closed down. Yeah, I think we talked around there. We Did we talk March?
1: I think we talked in October.
0: Okay. It was in the fall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So things with the business um, side of things, because that's, we have about like 11 employees here at the podcast. Um, But at the time we were, transitioning business models because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So before we were licensing content for leadership training, uh, licensing the interviews, and then we switched to people paying to come on the podcast and we make them like deliverables. So we had that transition. And of course, you know, like all the up and down of entrepreneurship, Mm. but the show's changed um, in a couple of ways. I hired this awesome person named Yvonne and she books, you know, just special guest episodes, like people that build underwater robots or an individual who's working on like nuclear powered submarines or cloning salmon, just random things. So that's about 20% of what the show is now. And then the other 80% is people looking to grow in their career. You know, how does the CTO of Verizon or NASA, how do they think about, you know, time management or, you know, leveling up in their career. And then, um, We'll do some cool technical interviews too. Like we had Sir Tim Berners-Leon, a creator of the World Wide Web. So he came on and talked about like how the web is changing and what the future looks like. So we have the, like, those are the typical categories. We call it educate, entertain, and elevate. Mm. So that's how we look at each episode.
1: Where have you found in the last six months as you've worked through that, whether it's a special episode or a current episode, where when you were done, you just said, what just happened? Like I went in with a big idea of something, the tech, the person, a philosophy, maybe uh, sometimes I don't want to use the word confrontational, but there are times I have guests on that I don't, I know a little bit about them and I don't necessarily agree with their perspective, but I want to hear it. And it's not a contentious conversation, but it's, you know, we don't always agree. Um, What of those conversations have you come back saying, huh, that was a surprise, hopefully in a pleasant way.
0: It happens a lot. We definitely have, like a week or so ago, we talked to somebody, and it was just, you said in the team meeting that it was like one of your favorite episodes ever.
1: I have have a suggestion for you of one of mine that's a pretty recent one that just left. John Lennox.
0: John Lennox. I think that was the one.
1: I don't know if you can see this, but in my notes, Martin Ford, futurist, robotics, and um, UBI. Yes. Yeah. Both of those guys.
0: Dude, I got so many, like people reach out and stuff after certain podcasts right. and you know they can listen to the library at any point in time. Right. So um, I get feedback across the board, but I have never gotten as much outreach and personal LinkedIn messages and personal direct emails as I've gotten with John Lennox episode. He wins the most outreach after an episode award.
1: Yeah. I've listened to John many times. Um, never even occurred to me Uh, to invite him on the show, because one of the things that I like, I talk to people about all the time. It doesn't always, not every episode we record makes it to the show for one reason or the other, but the ethics of AI. And that's one of the things that I love, John, um, you know, as a a mathematician, a classically trained mathematician, a philosopher. Um, He happens to be a, a Christian apologetic person, which, while that's my personal faith, it is his the way that he walks through with reason and he's very engaging, I thought, in that he's not a he's no more against AI than he is against a hammer. Like it's it's not for or against and he makes that point very elegantly over and over and over. He just helped to challenge me to think about and really resonate with a lot of other thinkers that I've been talking to how when we apply a tool in a very specific focused way. This is where it probably could change the world, will change the world, mostly in beneficial ways. When when something has the power of the gods but no moral ethic and you have no agreed standard of, um, you know, a world acceptance. For example, if you're a small country and you don't like how trade deals are going, you can go to the WTO. If health issues, you can go to the WHO. If it's a diplomacy thing, you can go to the UN. There there are places and agreed upon things and there, there are barriers and boundaries, but some of this tech doesn't have that. And I like, John didn't tease all of that out, but he really got me to think about a number of things of critical thinking, whether we agree or disagree with him. It was a brilliant conversation. It really captured my imagination. I thought he was a genius. He is a genius.
0: One of the th- things you asked me earlier about different episodes, um, I've been struggling with figuring out how to have the conversation <clears throat> around um, big tech censorship for a couple reasons. The first one is you know, most of our sponsors are big tech, yeah. right? So like, you want to be careful about like how much you you beat up on a topic. But it's also in our everyday lives to the point where like every single person in at least the United States is super comfortable with the fact that Facebook's always listening and they're changing your ads based off of your conversations. And it's just, you know, that's happening. That's the invasion. It's not an invasion of privacy because they have they often make you like, you know, agree to it. Right. But um, then there's, you know, the censorship. And the reason why the censorship part is is hard is because, um, you know, there's different political ideologies and teams out there. And one is getting censored more than the other. And so I was trying to have that conversation in like a really uh, roundabout way, but I did a couple, um, interviews and it, we didn't air the episode mostly because, you know, they had very strong opinions and they kept coming back like every argument or discussion point on, big tech censorship led back to something that was political and I'm trying to like not make the show divisive you know I'm just more like hey censorship is happening it's definitely the wild west out there because you know we make laws and arrears to like massive issues so I just am curious you know what the current Thoughts are about censorship. It's a hard thing, right. you know. Even like Facebook, they're like, oh, we want to be better, but like, what do we do? Do we set up a panel? Is it a third-party company?" So, talking about censorship is something that's been really hard, and we haven't figured it out yet. On the show,
1: I agree. We, um, uh, th- it's very, very, very rare. Um, hopefully, we can leave all of this in. We'll, we'll listen to it each when we're done. I made a little note of the timestamp, um, so if this makes it in, audience, just smile. But it is. Um, I have zero interest in making anybody look bad. Or um, you know, we live in the world. I'm. I, I. You know, my name's not on my podcast. I work for an organization, and um, we not just our sponsors, but our friends, our customers, our whatever are you know the entire world of data, right? The data is the commodity of the whole world these days. And that that takes a million forms from very, very, the largest companies on earth to um, minute niche players. And so a couple things for us, one, or at least for me, I'm, I have zero interest in taking the conversation to what team's winning, pick a color, yeah. pick a nation state, pick a whatever. Um, number one. Number two, I have yet to come across, I'm sure it happens, human beings being human beings, but everybody that is in my layer one, layer two, I don't know about layer three circles, I think are people of integrity and they're hardworking mm-hmm. and mo- almost all of this, even with some of the documentaries that have come out in the last couple of years, a lot of those folks are like, look, most of this is unintentional. The algorithms doing what they're doing. Kind of like when we first made airplanes, the... Um, Focus on the regulation about you know parts and maintenance and routes and air traffic control was loose and there were things that didn't work well and sometimes the technology failed or people manipulated things. Even early days of media, um, there have been things. What gets into the newspaper? What got onto the front page? What was in the the, the television news? And so we sort through it over time. Generally speaking, to me, to kind of take that discussion and go further, there is the big idea, I think, that as people we need to think about, and that is, here in the West anyway, my only personal experience, we all have an agreement with any of the technologies that we use that are free. They, and our governments, our government's you know, they are listening to phone calls. They are, um, hopefully they'll listen to this show and drive my viewership up. But yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they're listening to, they've probably already done it, said, we can, we don't need to waste our time anymore. Let's save resources and move on to something else. They read our text. They, they do all those other things that we know. it. That's not particularly concerning to me. Once upon a time in my life, I was really worried about it. Now there's so many things that are going on that, um, that that's not as interesting What is interesting to me, though, is that there are parts of the world where that data, those systems, not so much in the West, the EU or the United States or Canada, but in other places where they're centralizing that data, and then they're taking it and they're saying, okay, now I'm going to give you a credit score. Now I'm going to give you a social acceptance score based upon your behavior or this data, you and I could travel to where we want to travel. We can say pretty much anything that's not treasonous. It may cost us a job or whatever, but we have we have a lot of freedom, even within this oversight and these things that they're monetizing and they're using or whatever. But there's no threat to us, really. Not if there is, it's a long term existential that people are pontificating about. And I, I don't know. They've I I once looked at this history of the last 200 years, and we could probably go back to the original days of Foreman Bricks to build pyramids, and they were saying the same thing. But in terms of practical, everyday impact, for us, we're not really in, experiencing an influence of that. Well, we are, but there are parts of the world where that data is, I don't want to say weaponized, but it's, it's almost like that, but that it's being used to impact what people can do Um, where they can go, what they can buy, how they can consume things, and then scarier version than that, in some places, if Dave McCall is labeled as less um, credible, less you're down in the yellow score. By whatever that centralized government or data says, the people connected to me are then impacted. Their score is reduced. If you sell to me on the books, if you Do business in any way with me if you are affiliated with me in my social media or whatever. I know you recently had a uh, retired FBI or ex FBI person on your show. Probably many of them in that world. Oh, Mark. Yeah. So I
0: know Mark. He got raided by the FBI.
1: Well, I didn't get to listen to that podcast. I just saw that he was on there. But I have a. We have. I've got friends that have retired from the FBI. I know a number of them, and we talk. We've talked on the show, although we haven't released the podcast yet. Um, It's going through post production. Uh, with uh, Charlie Mariota, who's talking about, look, there's things that are going on in the world where, uh, you know, we don't chase down bank robbers very often anymore, you know, and, and even the domestic things like um, ID uh, theft and things like that, they're important. But as we look on the horizon, we're looking how data is being manipulated, not just physical threats, but but nation states are using these things or other people. And so it's a really compelling, interesting conversation. And this power lives in, hasn't had a, a lot of government oversight. And I, as a libertarian for me, you know, I like enough, I want an inspector to inspect my home. I don't, nobody wants no regulation. That's not going to work because then we have unsafe places to live. But what's that right balance of oversight and entrepreneurship? And so I just think that's fair to ask the marketplace, but I'm watching these things happen around the world, or at least I'm starting to hear them and learn of them. What is it that happens with this stuff when it goes beyond just the, how do I customize your experience when you go to the store or you go to a show or whatever, so that I'm feeding you things I think that are interest to you? Because at the end of the day, that's what they want. They want to make money and move things and whatever. And it becomes oh, I have an more, I want to limit you. What's your idea?
0: Okay. So uh, let's say like we are starting from scratch, right? With the whole internet and everything. If right now, let's just use Facebook. Okay. Because everyone knows it. Uh, right now, Facebook, they are both the data store and the filter. Mm-hmm. So they store the raw information and then they filter what's accessible based off of their community guidelines. And so they have community guidelines. Mm -hmm. You go over to Spotify. They are the data store and the filter and they have community guidelines. Um, The internet was built to be open and free. At the same time, we all agree that there are things that need to be filtered. Mm -hmm. However, what should be filtered to what degree varies greatly based off of local culture. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the things I thought of is if you could make all of the popular sites raw data stores where you can post anything, and then a new layer of technology emerged that were filters, and you could sort of subscribe to these filters and they would have similar uh, values across all of your data interactions, that could be really interesting because then I could make one, you know, I could have a whole profile for like, Uh, like a, like a church filter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm in that filter, it's all things that would be acceptable to them Mm -hmm. in in that community. I can have uh, a technology leader filter and they're filtering out the, the worst management ideas and, you know, pumping up the best management ideas and there's transparency there. I think that that could be an interesting world to live in. Uh, I think everything's just really new. And so we're watching the pains of like, they're trying to decide what's great, for everyone right. where you, the way you win is decentralize it and empower individuals and communities to decide what's right for them. And I think that's a, a, p- a potential solution. I call it like a new level, like a filter economy, a new level of products that are just filters. I like that
1: idea. One, because I don't want to interfere with the free market and entrepreneurship, the most innovative Technology, or certainly some of the most, comes from the United States because of a combination of you know protections from our government and uh, opportunity to, without much interference, to thrive and survive, and. Um, we're not saying this. I'm not interested in... It doesn't seem to me like like I'm not interested in the conversation of let's demonize some group or whatever. So I want them to have that ability to do it. At the same time, I do like that idea of can I apply a filter, which then allows me to modify my experience to um, what do I want to stream in? What do I want to stream out? That already sort of happens a little bit, though. Like, you know, if you go, I love um, Meta or Facebook, Mm-hmm. I use it though. I don't post a lot. I use it to keep up with my disc golf groups. What, what tournaments are happening around me? What's going on in the world of dirt bike racing? What's going on with this group of friends of mine or family or whatever? Things like that. Um, and I don't encourage, in fact, I may even discourage or remove material or things that come into, whether it's a person I know that's constantly injecting it into this experience that I want to have. Um, but anyway, the ability to have a smart filter, almost an AI driven filter that can learn me and tune to me uh, over time, almost like a Pandora. This is I've given you the, you know, Blake Shelton radio or whatever. And over time, yeah. as I'm thumb upping and thumb downing musical experiences, it can roll it in and help me to do one still discover new music because it trends like these other people I've given a thumbs up to. I've given away some of my sovereignty and data, so they know things that I'm liking, and that's okay. I want them to feed me more stuff, but I still want Pandora to be able, or whoever, Spotify to make the best program possible, so that I can enjoy the development of technology. I don't. I don't know that we figured it out yet. Lennox said, you know, one of the things, and he's not the only one. I've heard this many, some version of this many times. That technology moves so fast in these particular areas, and it's just constantly accelerating. That it's you know we're we're gasping to catch up and just keep up with it you know.
0: I have a whole team of people that just try to keep up with it to figure out what we should have on the show. Yeah, it's hard. How do you determine that? You were right. Um, Well, I want to talk about something. I think you were right. Um, You you see this filter concept emerging. It's like. If we go back to caveman times of the internet, right? You had a like button, right? Right, And it tried to do everything from that like button. And then we started following people and then people were acting as our filters. Oh, I like the way Jocko thinks, or I like the way David Goggin thinks right. or Joe Rogan. So I'm going to follow them. And then their content's going to populate my feed. I might like 60% of the way they think right. or whatnot. So we're, we're kind of already organizing the internet like this. We're trying to do this. I just haven't seen specifically a set of tools that came that could come out that you could like subscribe to a certain culture or set of values. And it would transcend the platform so that, you know, you see on Facebook now, which is great. And and Instagram, which is fantastic. They started doing this thing where, um, well, first of all, I had suggested it in year one of the show and people told me I was stupid. And then they started doing it in year four, (laughs) (laughs) but they started uh, asking you. Like, what, what do you want to know more about? Like click a tag or, or, uh, you know, if you're scrolling through Facebook, it'll randomly be like, Hey, do you want to see more of this? And it'll show like different tags that you can tap on. It'll ask, do you want to see less of this? And you can do different tags. So they're, they're getting there. I think we're on that progression of the individual companies allowing you to, to sort of, uh, craft the algorithm the way more intentionally. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think that that path we're already well, well down. Um, I just think it would be cool to like not have to train every single platform about, you know, because it takes a while for that Pandora to figure out the thumb up, thumb down um, deal. So and if it extracted into a third party service, that would be cool.
1: Do you think the government should have more role than they do now in saying to. Um, when we say tech companies, we mean specifically the types of organizations that we're interacting with to, um, uh, you know, whether it's a news feed or some sort of a, a social construct where I'm, f- I'm forming opinions. So they probably wouldn't impact our music. I don't want them telling me I can listen to the Blues Brothers, but not Depeche Mode or, you know, The Clash, yeah. but not Zeppelin or whatever. Um How how do you imagine that? Is there a role for them to play there
0: or not so much? So (laughs) how I feel about that in general. So like I I look at every single, I'll give some background. I look at every single issue Mm. and I um, analyze it for its merits and I will typically form a strong opinion and it'll be loosely held based off the introduction of new information. I have no problem changing my mind on a dime because I've learned something new. Um, So I'm pretty open and transparent about that. But the government in general, I'm a fan of smaller government. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a fan of smaller government. If you want bigger local government, that could be cool. I'm definitely a fan of smaller federal government um, just because uh, that's our tax dollars that are funding it. And if you didn't make the government as big, you could probably do some more interesting things. That's a whole different. Right. Um, well, that's kind of
1: the libertarian topic. view. That's similar. Yeah, that. it's very yeah. similar.
0: So, as far as the government telling, you know, I, I think guidelines are great. Mm-hmm. I think guidelines are fantastic because there's a spectrum of people. There's multiple seven plus billion of us on this earth, and there's people that are in mental institutions, and there are people that are winning Nobel prizes. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're sometimes they're the same. Yes, yeah, sometimes they're the same. Right. But you have that entire spectrum. So guidelines would be good, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'm for guidelines. I'm definitely for, you know, the cert- like you have to have regulation and things mm-hmm. like that. But in general, I'm, I'm smaller. I like smaller government. And would I want the government to have a say in the content I consume? No. When it comes to the internet, my philosophy is everything should be open and free, mm-hmm. uh, not in a monetary sense, and mm-hmm. the accessibility sense. Um, uh, so like everything should be accessible and then you should filter accordingly because that's how the world actually works. Like, you know, there's alcohol, drugs, there's all sorts of things out there you can get yourself into trouble with. And you sort of have to curate that, um, even though you have access to it. So you have to, you have to figure out what's right for you and what's right for your life. And so, um, provided you're not hurting other humans physically, um, and, I I make a distinction for that physically Mm -hmm. because, you know, I I tend to be a stronger person. Mm -hmm. So, like, I I think if you if you make the world padded mentally, then you're robbing them the ability to develop uh, like strength Mm -hmm. mentally. So, like, I had to develop a lot of strength through my entrepreneurial journey and through things that happened to me in my early life, and I would not want those experiences to go away in exchange of some easier life because I wouldn't have developed these these skills yeah so I know that's like a lot of different things I just touched on but I I want the internet to be open Mm -hmm. and accessible I want to let different communities determine what their values are and that will then filter the internet but I just would like the internet to be like a giant server Mm. that a giant storage giant hard drive Well, we, so I think we're aligned in a lot of that. My
1: philosophy is as well, I just had this, um, a professor on last week. We haven't released it yet. It should be out in the next few weeks. His name is Patrick Allett. And he is, uh, I think he's the most senior tenured, uh, professor of history at Emory. And he had a really interesting Ted talk about, can history predict the future? And he walks this really compelling discussion about how, and we get it wrong so many times. Um, and without going through all the examples, um, he, he really helped me to think, he said, look, for history, We I try to approach it like a forensic scientist. How do I keep my personal feeling about who the current president is or isn't or this particular topic? I, I try to just think about what does the evidence tell us? And many times you get to a... Um, you don't get to a 100% certainty. You get 70%, but you can get a projection. You can get to an idea. And for most investigators, that's enough. You know, you get a pretty good idea, um, and but you call it that. I have a pretty good idea, not this is a fact. This is a hypothesis, or is enough evidence to be a theory, or this is now a rule, it's a law. And I love that. And so he approaches so many things. This is a guy... Um, I believe he's Cambridge educated, just like uh, Lennox. Got his master's at Berkeley and then PhD and others here in um, at Emory. So, you know, kind of an academic slouch as those things go. But really smart and he holds things. Look, I've got a reasonably firm grip, but it's not a fist. And as compelling evidence comes and overwhelms it, then I change my mind. You and I have talked about this in the past about how data has changed our mind on certain things. But for me, it with, relates to the government. I I do like the internet to be open and free. I do like some of the things that there, there are some elements of GDPR that I like, look here, be aware of this stuff, here's what you need to be aware of, the difference between security and privacy and how it plays out. There are some things though, I feel like at least here in the States, my personal opinion is I want the state involved in. I know for a fact that there's images that you can watch as a, a gentleman in your 30s, with a certain amount of distance between your teenage years and your hormone development, your testosterone and development, and your brain development, and the neurons and whatever firing, and the overwhelming data is, if you expose an 11 or 12 or 13 year old to pornography that looks like this, or to these things like this, here's how it rewires their brain It is a here's the evidence that suggests that on a global level, or whatever, or recreational marijuana. If you wanna indulge in that as an adult, This is the chemical response within your body as opposed to doing it as a kid. So there are some things that, um, and like all things, it's complicated. But my general rule is um, we govern at the federal level or at the highest level lightly and much more, you know, much more detail the closer you get to actual people. And so I think we're still trying to figure that out when it was academic sharing and the other things of the 80s and early 90s in the Internet. I don't think we need to be as cautious. And now where we see um, it can be exploited to impact um, people around us, the most vulnerable around us, if we're not careful, but what's that slippery slope? Is it an age thing? It is a IQ thing. Is it, you know, you can, you can put certain amount of data that you persuade people. I know people that have been persuaded to think the earth is flat and rectangular and they're former rocket scientists. And i Come on, I'm, not, former rocket I'm scientist? not exaggerating, or certainly in that industry. And I'm like, do you know the level of conspiracy that would have to take place by our enemies?
0: Have you ever flown across the country?
1: Like Sometimes in a plane. Worked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I look, we we I, without wasting a lot of time on what I think is, you know, for me, it's like we know conspiracies yeah. e- exist. We know that not everything. I got it. I'm look, I am certain that I won the math table um, talent show in fifth grade, but there's a conspiracy against me, and I'm not even kidding. like I know that happened. but There are some things that if your enemy, if you're from a national, you know, your competitors, instead of enemy, your competitors, if you're a competitor and you're Apple, for example, just to choose somebody randomly, and Google sees it the way you do and Microsoft sees it the way you do and Amazon sees it the way you do and Netflix sees it like all of these people and Alibaba and Tencent and Byte, like, they all are sort of begrudging. Yeah, that's, you know, we agree that that's true. What would you have to do to conspire to get your com, your competitors or your you know your um, honorable uh, opponents to agree, to you know that normally would disagree with you in almost anything to agree? That's what I mean by it. At some point, it doesn't go from a conspiracy to not plausible at all. So anyway, what I'm saying is should there be, You know What, if anything, do we just let people just continue to believe these things? And then what's the recourse of that? If you can use those tools to deepfake and manipulate people in such a way that you get responses out of them, uh, because technology can be weaponized in all kinds of ways. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know that I have an answer for that, but it's definitely something that's bouncing around that
0: we're thinking about. Uh, Let's take the Tide Pod thing. Yeah. Right. I go back and forth on that based off of my mood. Really? I, I mean, I have found myself feeling strongly both ways. Yes, we should stop people from doing stupid things. So let's remove those video challenges. That's some days I feel like that. Other days I feel like Darwin, like let it happen. Like if they're they're actually going to eat that Tide Pod, like, right. and it's as public as it is that it's not a good thing to do. Right. Like, do we need them? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it sounds really bad to say, but you know, like I said, I go back and forth and yeah, I think some conspiracy... I guess what we're learning as a society, I like to look at it like this. If we step back from all of these conversations on technology, we are a society, a group of humans that are going through digital puberty. Mm -hmm. We got this tool. It's new within the past 20 years, as far as like the modern use Mm -hmm. of it and the application with the common person. Um, And we're just figuring Mm -hmm. it out and we're experiencing all the pain. So what I've been thinking more about lately, talking with our producers like Adam and uh, you know different things uh is that the my general default stance at this point in time is that the best way I can impact society is by having conversations to figure out what what we agree on because we've lost our um as a country we've, we've we're very we're very divided um and we've lost our um homogeneity if that's mm-hmm. a word you know? So I, I'm less interested in arguing or discussing like more specific points than I am figuring out like, what do we agree on? Like, what do we agree on? And um, those are tough conversations because people openly disagree about certain things. Like, I mean, if you look at some of the quotes from, I think his name is Anad, the CEO of Twitter. I mean, he's openly saying that we need to censor this stuff and control the conversation for the good of whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's your values you're imposing on the world. and forget just within America, look at the world at large, right? And and I've been trying to think of different ways like that, that some of these problems can be solved. One of them is like all the tech companies emerged from like one spe- like a very specific location mm-hmm. and that location had specific values and then now the whole entire world uses those things. So um, I think I don't think that's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I think that's just what happened. But I, th- I think that most people, like I said earlier about the filters, have, have done a better job of like putting the power into the hands of the local people, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And also, to your point earlier, I know a lot of these people mm-hmm. and I would say 95, not even 80, 20, 95 plus percent of the time. They're the most compassionate, loving, intelligent people that are trying to push mankind forward. And this is sort of like the heat dissipation of a system operating that we're dealing with. It's like, you know, Einstein did, you know, his nine math problems and the tenth one was wrong. And everyone focused on the tenth one. And he said, Yeah, you completely ignored the the nine things I did right, the nine problems I solved correctly, and you all focused on the one thing I didn't do. And we just do that as humans. So Sometimes I just have to remind myself that we're living in the best time ever. We have the most amazing modern conveniences. We have the best health, the least deaths. Like things are really, really awesome, and we just tend to focus on on what's not there yet, which is fine. Yeah,
1: you know, let's err on the side of less reg and imposition and work our way towards a thing that you know that works. I'm a big fan of the innovation that's coming out of you know the world of technology. Lennox talks about. His example was um, about the lungs. I've heard it in the, uh, in the world of radiology that, you know, if, if you put this data out there, you know, the AI and the machines can run through it and look at all of these markers and help give you a diagnosis, not just to what's going on, but what's the best possible documented path for you to flourish based upon your genetic makeup and your environment that you live in and all these other things. And some of that is um, many things are communicated to your point of, you know, they get 90, um, they get this overwhelming majority of things right. And then there are some things that are a burr. And I'm not trying to minimize, some of the burrs are pretty big burrs, but they have these massive platforms. Um, I, I don't want to stop platforms because we're figuring out this other stuff. But I do think there's not so much about a platform, but I don't want my, you know, when I was a kid, my parents would drop me off at the library. It's a different time and era, but I could go to the library and we're there with, you know, some of our classmates and, um, but they didn't have to worry that if I got on the word processor that I could access something on the internet that wouldn't be allowed at their home or, um, and I don't mean, reading the Lord of the Flies as opposed to, you know, whatever. There, there are things that sort of the community agreed upon. This is what happens in our in our library. But it was, quote, unquote, a safe space for whatever that is, as opposed to, you know, the Internet can be a whole bunch of stuff. So I do think that there are some, and I don't know if it's, ex, you know, the role of government exclusively, but whatever that combination of things, of filter, whatever, that, that helps us to um, – check and make sure that or ensure to the best of our degree that we as a group of people agree on certain things. We agree on an age for drinking. We agree on an age for driving a vehicle, on an age accountability um, if you cause physical harm to somebody else, you know, and you go into the court system. So there, there are agreements that we come to. I love the biggest idea of the internet is free and open, but there are some parts of it I think that we allow those vulnerable among us to be um, impacted in a way that I prefer not to. I don't know the answer to that is, but
0: it's, uh, yeah, most of these things don't have great yeah. answers. Like, you know, one of the the United States of America was founded on this concept of uh, freedom, <clears throat> free speech. And we all understand the conversation of like, okay, well they're a private company right. and whatnot. Um, my counter argument to that that I haven't heard from anywhere else publicly is when they want to enter other countries, they adhere to their mm-hmm. culture yet they don't adhere to the culture in which the country they were born and operated is. And I get it. They, they want to, you know, you want to change culture mm-hmm. or it's going to eat culture evolves mm-hmm. anyways. It's not right. static. So, um, they're just hard conversations to have and we're just at a point in life where, you know, we're at a, we're at a hard moment. And so I'm definitely not the person to scream and mm-hmm. yell. Like, let's just say for, for, um, conversation David that like I have a very rigid specific set of mm-hmm. views and all of my views got classified as conspiracy and they all got shut down. Right. By I've already written that down right? right over
1: here. Joel's views are yeah. conspiracy.
0: <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta train <laughs> your ML later uh, <laughs> so like let's say that happened I would be like you know I'd be like that sucks mm. but then I would just say like you know what, what, what's the path out mm. of here what's the, like, what, what would need to change? Why did this happen? Why are, why am I thinking this way? Why are all my thoughts that I'm thinking this way? So, uh, unaccepted by these other entities. And I would just get like really introspective on it and try to figure out like what we can, what we can Mm -hmm. do, like what the next move would be. Do I need to change some of my thoughts? Do I need to change some of my mind or am, am I right? And somehow I've just become the minority. Mm -hmm. In which case, the minority never goes mm. away, right? It's always this constant struggle from the 20 becoming the 80 and the 80 going back mm-hmm. to the 20. So we're just in one of those transitions. And so that's why, you know, there's some famous quote of a president, but uh, they said something along the lines like, with your values, like stand on a rock with everything else, like weighed with the social fabric or whatever. There are really big, giant conversations that are super, super hard to have But I stand on the side of as far as the United States and being born and raised here and benefiting from the system and the economic entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. sense. There was a time where my family had like government Mm -hmm. assistance. Right. And uh, I definitely was not born Mm -hmm. rich. And so, you know, a lot of figuring things out, a lot of hard work. Uh, And then you get, I like that Mm -hmm. system. I like that that system exists and it's not a system like, you know, some Mm -hmm. other systems. And so I'm, I'm a fan of it. And I'm a fan of um, when you have ideas, the only way to battle those is better ideas. And if it was up to me, I wouldn't silence any Mm. ideas. Like I would say, all right, here are the ideas. And then you're just going to, it'll, it'll figure out either way it's going to settle out. Right. I'd rather it just settle out with the core, with the bedrock of it being free and open rather than trying to settle it out and try to control it and manipulate it on the way down. with But hey, we're here. I think
1: we're saying yeah. the same thing. One of the things that I think you and I both gravitate towards is I love people that are able to critically think they're elegant at expressing it or eloquent at expressing it. And um, they don't necessarily agree with me. Like they're not unreasonable people. They just don't agree with me. And I'm drawn to frequently areas of technology from really smart people who say, look, here's how I believe this particular tech is really going to help us. And other people who are equally committed, that are equally reasonable and researched and peer reviewed and credentialed, say, well, have you considered these things? And, I, and I'm allowed to hear the contending against my predisposition to believe so I can chew on it. And it gets sometimes... It pries an idea out of my hand or it changes the shape of it or whatever. Other times it confirms what I already had come to resolve for me. I get more less concerned about the opportunity here contending ideas than I do people that just aren't interested in an idea being challenged. And I don't mean beyond like I don't need to read a communist manifesto again to know that, you know, I really am pro-ethical capitalism because of all of these reasons and all of the sins and successes of it. I've resolved that. Until there's something new that's not in one of the manifestos or whatever. I had this interest, I'm not changing my mind. We were just in Miami about six weeks ago and I met so many people from Cuba that were the most vocal people I ever heard or recently heard pro-USA, pro capitalism pro they're like look we can tell you what it's like to live in a regime that's much different than this a woman from haiti that was my uber driver was having a conversation um i didn't even know how we got on the topic but she was so excited to be in the united states because we had a justice system all i hear from some parts is how horrible our justice system is she said are you kidding me where i'm from you don't get a jury of your peers Uh, and she went through two or three examples of gross injustice against women and gross injustice against certain indigenous groups because of their social status and their indigent uh, compared to, and they were all the same color people. This wasn't that, but it was ethnical, eth- ethnical. We're going to invent words while we're here. Yeah, I love that that Today's word is ethnical. Yeah. Um, right after we watch Fraggle Rock. But anyway, so it's, you know, it's this stuff, and it just reminds me, we are the greatest, we have, and I don't mean to rest on it, but we have so much opportunity and so much great things here and it was built on a foundation of private property free speech free enterprise entrepreneurship opportunity and so we also have a challenge you know a requirement to safeguard those things as we go but i think that the challenge at least as it comes to tech is sometimes it can race so far ahead so fast a- a- ahead of us that bef- we're it's not just that we're trying to play catch up like in a newspaper era or in a telegraph era or the age of steam, okay, let's change how we're doing this stuff. You know, famously uh, rivers catching on fire from kerosene just being dumped out and destroying and, you know, and so the world had to respond and legislate and fix that. But it wasn't, the, the consequences weren't so dire that they couldn't be rolled back pretty quickly. It, in some cases, it feels like, wow, we could really get ahead of ourselves with some of this. Uh, technology that, um, uh, you know, how do we keep up with it? And if you're a government institution or even a local civil group, how do we keep up with all of the potential interruptions? Interesting times. Why are we in the tech business? Because <laughs> we love it.
0: I love the tech. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's, you're, you get to solve problems. I find most of the people in tech are extraordinarily reasonable. And like you can, I have no problem taking the Like I can have a very strong view about something and you can say, Hey, we want to debate this. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, we want you to debate against Mm -hmm. that idea and we're going to stand for it. And I was like, all right, I'll I'll go debate the other side of it because you know, people have good intentions and often, and there's usually great ideas on both sides (laughs) and there's usually some logic behind both. And so I don't, write, I don't write people off that don't think exactly like me because every time I've ever dug deep into the other person's argument, they have some, some part of, of something I agree with or truth or a good Patrick point.
1: Patrick um this professor I was telling you about blew my mind the other day when he said, at what point in the American Civil War was the last point that the South thought they were Right. And I started thinking about, like, what do you mean? And he said, as a historian, we all today, hopefully, would look at the abhorrence or the condition of slavery slavery in horror. This is a horrific thing. At some point, human being, it's so easy for us then to project upon classes of people, um, you know, a particular motive or whatever. And he said, one of the things, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, um, so I'm articulating as I was thinking about it. He said, if you think about it, pick any, he just chose that one because that's part of, you know, our recent tragic history. But he said, if you think about that, when the people went to war, um, some, the they thought they were in the right. They People don't go die oh, yeah. for something they don't think. They're right about like this is right. This is right for me. It's right for my neighbor. It's right for these other things. And this happens. This isn't white America. This is the whole world has done this over all of history and time. Right? Time. Yeah. And um, and so it's that it's that thing that um, at you know at some point whatever the turning point was was it because they lost the war or was it because of you know whatever we get through this at what point did. Um, You know, when I think of, um, you know, the great battles of the Lord of the Rings or on and on and on, these great tales, when did one group believe that they were in the right and the other believe come to understand they were in the wrong? Um, Is that just because we get to write history or how does that work? And I I just think that, um, you know, one of the things that Lennox said that I also thought was really interesting as it relates to AI was, man, I want to encourage people that have a, a an integrity and an ethic or whatever to be in this world, to be in the world of any of these technologies so they can bring a perspective where we're working for the common good and human flourishing And um, and how do we resolve that?
0: Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.